0: friend of mine, a uh, friend and colleague of mine, um, is editing a, a, a journal of American psychology on mindfulness at the moment, and um, late last year she invited me to, to put in an essay for it, so I've written a first draft of it, and I just want to share with you some of the, the um, thoughts I've had about that. And uh, the general theme of the journal is um, reflecting on um, Buddhism, um, mindfulness and the future directions of it. Um, The title of my essay, it actually comes from a quote from a a Japanese teacher who was well known in Japan, Katagiri Roshi, And the title of the essay is Going Fishing with a Straight Hook. Mm -hmm. And the subtitle is um, Reflections on Seeing Mindfulness in Future Directions. So let's just stay with the title for a minute, Mm -hmm. Going Fishing with a Straight Hook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now from a worldly point of view it's a very silly thing to go fishing with a straight hook because you're not going to catch anything. And that's the whole point of Katagiri's little statement there. Nearly everything that we do in life has a purpose to it, a goal to it. And um, that's what we're educated into. Uh, That's what we're programmed into. Um, What a lot of people don't understand, I'll just talk of Zen practice rather than Buddhism in general what a lot of people don't understand about Zen practice unless they've done it for a while um, is that um, it's purposeless. Mm -hmm. It's aimless. It's purposeless. It actually doesn't have a goal. And one of my fellow teachers uh, uh, Barry Magic defined mindfulness as purposeless awareness. Now I think that he's not actually describing mindfulness as it's used in a secular sense. What he's actually describing is Zen meditation. And it's a very, very good definition of it. Purposeless awareness. In other words, you're just turning up to be aware of being. Not whether you're going to get enlightened, as Thich Nhat Hanh's kind of referring to, or Dogen refers to not particularly trying to be enlightened, you're not trying to get somewhere, you're not trying to be a better person. You're just turning up to be present to just be. And if you turn up to be present to just be, and you let go of all this kind of goal-seeking, including spiritual ambition, well, then things seem to fall into place in some way. Mm -hmm. So if you go fishing with a with a straight hook, you're not going to catch anything at all, right? Because there's nothing to catch. One way of understanding it, and I've used this reference here before, is that a lot of you would be familiar with um, um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, that we have a we have survival needs of love, safety, and food, and then once once those needs get met, another need. Arises, which is a need, say, for belongingness and to be loved and then another need to, um, to develop skills and competency and be recognised for it. And that's what human beings do. But, but what about when you've met all of those needs satisfactorily? What happens then, according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once all of those needs are met in a reasonably satisfying way, is that what may emerge is a need for self-actualization, which is another word really for the awakened life. And if that arises, then it's really, in a sense, returning to um, the playfulness of a child, where a child just plays without any fixed goal of what needs to happen. It's just this playfulness, purposeless, this sense of just um, being and being completely at ease in your own in your own being in your own experience is kind of like the awakened life, and and that's what we come back to through Zen practice. So it's very unique in the sense that it, nearly everything we do in life has a goal and a purpose, um, but when you sit, you're going fishing with a straight hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hard for a lot of us to get because, like I said, we've always conditioned into you are doing something for a reason and to meet meet a goal. Um, It can be quite challenging, I think particularly with our very driven Western kind of conditioning that we have, to actually turn up time after time in the moment without a goal. Mm. Most people think it's really stupid. But paradoxically, that's the transforming effect of it. And um, if we think of mindfulness and how mindfulness has become very popular, <coughs> what I'm writing in this essay is that we, mindfulness has now become many different things to different people. Um, and we need, to be, we need to have adjectives or way of describing mindfulness in different contexts. Um, because mindfulness its not something new, it's not something the Buddhists discovered. There's always been mindfulness. Um, mindfulness is always there like a hunter hunting for prey, like they're fully there, paying attention quietly in the present moment, watching everything that's occurring. That's mindfulness for the goal of killing food, to eat it, to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Or... An artisan, you know, like a carpenter, might be really mindful of of cutting a straight line. That's mindfulness. But it's there in order to reach a goal, you know, to make a good cabinet and to sell it and put food on the table and have a sense of competency about what you're doing. Mindfulness is not something new. It's natural. Animals are mindful, right? But nearly always in our life, we are mindful for a purpose or a goal, right? And then if we use it just to be mindful of being, that's a different matter altogether. So as a way of trying to um, clarify these things intellectually, what I'm suggesting is that we we have what we may call existential mindfulness or spiritual mindfulness is what Zen practice is. So let's define that as Barry's definition, purposeless awareness, right? And then you have mindfulness as it's used in psychology, you know, in counselling and psychotherapy and medicine. And so you could describe that as intentionally bringing awareness to the present moment for the purpose of improving mental health. It's got a goal there, right? A medical or psychological goal. Or you could say it's performance-based mindfulness so that you're... um, intentionally bringing um, awareness to the present moment in a non-judgmental way to improve the way that you play a sport or play a musical instrument or speak, or whatever it is that you might be doing. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the context, how you use the word. And um, I've mentioned it here a few times before, and it's been um, mentioned previously by other Zen teachers, there was a, a book that came out years ago called Zen at War um, by Brian, I can't remember the author's name, but what he was alluding to was that um, uh, meditation was used in its Zen Buddhist context, you know, to, to awaken. Uh, from the self-centered dream, but the um, during the Second World War, the Japanese government appropriated it to train soldiers to kill more effectively, right? and to train factory workers to work more efficiently for the war effort. So it can be used for a very sacred uh, context, or a very a very destructive context, or a very profane one. Depends how you use it according to the context. So it's like a knife. There's, there's knives, right, but there's a knife which is used in surgery, like a scalpel, right, that's very different to a knife which is used um, to carve wood, to make a work of art, and it's very different from a dagger, right, which is used to harm people or to kill people. They're all knives but they all have a different function. And so mindfulness, according to the context it's in, always has a different function. And I think we should make those clearer um, as we go forward. But come back to this mindfulness in this context. Um, mindfulness may be, may be intentionally bringing attention to the present moment in a non-judgmental way, um, but it's just part of the process of, of meditation. That's where you start. Um, but a lot of teachers have warned about just being stuck in the observer role. Suzuki Roshi emphasised that in the Zen Centre of San Francisco. If you just stay as the observer, um, that, that's not actually starting. Um, coming back to Katagiri Roshi again, he said um, the observer is the last stand of the ego. There's still a sense there's a self there in the background. as me observing everything and we identify with that. Even that has to go. And what a lot of um, Zen teachers emphasise a, a distinction between being a mindful observer and Zen practice... Is in practice, is it starts from mindfulness, but as you go along, um, the sense of self dissolves more, and and you're absorbed into life. There's not a not a separation between you and life. There's not like an observer here and life out there. You become absorbed into life. You become embedded into life. You. You experience, as Thich Nhat Hanh was saying that reading tonight. You experience the interbeing of everything that is alive, and to experience that, to ex- to start from mindfulness and to just naturally shift into absorption, that is the Zen experience. That is the that is the awakened life. Not being this spectator, not being a spectator to life. It's being a, a player in life. Anyway, there's some of my thoughts on on Zen and, and mindfulness, and I hope that in the future you will go fishing with a straight hook and not catch anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah.